0: what is up freaks it's your boy marty bent here to introduce this episode of tales from the crypt yet another cross post with the great american mining podcast i had the pleasure of sitting down with robert bryce who's the host of the power hungry podcast documentarian documentary called juice prolific author author i just had to re-record this because i couldn't say author first time around messed it up again he's an author he's written many books on electricity, power-hungry being one of one of the books most recently, um, he he wrote a book that piggybacked on um, his documentary "Juice." In uh, the name of that book is "A Question of Power: Electricity and the Wealth of Nations." I wanted to cross-post this episode particularly because I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with Robert, and I think this is a very important problem that many people in the mainstream are not talking about specifically. Uh, the fragility of our energy grids and the nonsensical policies that are being forced upon Americans, particularly that are that are pushing them away from reliable energy sources and towards unreliable sources, making us more fragile, making electricity more expensive and making us worse off. As a result, we talked a lot about the Indian Point nuclear plant shutdown in this episode, as well as uh, the, how subsidies bastardize incentives capital allocation in the energy sector we talked about getting back to objective truth i think you guys are gonna like this one it's brought to you by our good friends at the cash app cash apps stack Sats. stack Sats. oh Sats. oh sats, bit Sats. bit Sats. i like sats personally there's 100 million sats in one bitcoin for any of you out there like what the hell are you talking about uncle marty sats one bitcoin people are like oh it's too expensive you can stack sats it's 100 million sats in a bitcoin again and the cash app makes it very easy. You can buy as little as $1 worth of sats via the cash app. And now, right now, as I speak, one cuck buck will get you 1,747 sats. Sats is the standard within the app. You can make it the standard. You don't have to if you like Bitcoin as your as your unit of account. 100 million sats, one whole Bitcoin as your unit of account. You can make a Bitcoin in the app. They make it very easy. You can DCA into sats by daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it within the app. Uh, they have their their boost card I actually just got my new boost card neon green bitcoin sign lightning bolt looking pretty hot i use that quite a lot now so it's overtaking my my bank debit card uh, just because of the convenience of being able to buy bitcoin in the app and then spend cash with the with the cash app so if you guys haven't downloaded it yet Make sure you do so. Use the code stacking SAS S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're gonna get ten dollars. Ten dollars gonna to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls lacrosse. <coughs> Owls lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Huddle is leveraging Bitcoin's native properties, particularly its multi-sig properties, to bring you freaks. A lending platform, lend.hoddlehoddle.com. Lend.hoddlehoddle is a new non custodial Bitcoin backed lending platform that allows peer to peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. Okay. No KYC, no AML. US citizens have access to this product specifically, and that is because it is non custodial. They're leveraging Bitcoin's na- native multi sig property again uh, to make it so it's, it's basically like a multi sig escrow. You hold one key, your counterparty holds one key, then Hoddle Hoddle. Holds the third key in the two or three multi-sig signature. As the duration of your loan is going on, you can can always check the wallet to make sure that the sats that you put in escrow are there. They're not being rehypothecated. So if you're short funds, you don't need to sell your Bitcoin. Get some liquidity by borrowing, using your Bitcoin as collateral. Get some stablecoin liquidity uh and you don't need to entrust somebody with your funds again your collateral always remains locked in that escrow and you control one of the keys to it and if you're a stablecoin guy or gal and you want to get some yield on that you can enter the other side of this marketplace <clears throat> excuse me put your stablecoins up to be lent out and get a yield on that create your offers and set your own terms today on lend.hodlhodl.com that's len lcom this rip was also brought to you by our good friends at compass mining compass mining is working to make, individuals, make it easy for individuals to get into the mining game. The way it works, you go to compassmining.io, that's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. You pick a miner model that they have available, you buy it, they get it for you, Then you, you pick a, a hosting facility. They have a, a plethora of hosting facilities with competitive power rates, energy costs, uh, so that you pick your hosting facility, you pick your miner, you pay for the miner, your miner gets delivered to the hosting facility, gets plugged in, and then you start streaming sats to a wallet of your choice. Again, they're trying to make this easy for you free because they want to get individuals into mining and into hosting facilities uh, to help distribute hash rate production between individuals, okay? So again, if this is something that interests you, go to compassmining.io, c-o-m-p-a-s-s-m-i-n-i-n-g dot i-o, check it out. Last but not least... This rip is brought to you by our good friends at Brains. It's B R A I I N S. They're the. Excuse me, I'm burping. In the burping. Bob Durst, that weirdo, burping. Ugh. Where was I? Brains OS Plus and Slush Pool have some updates. All right, so I'm here to inform the list listeners of new features on slush pool and a new farm management solution for brains os plus okay brains has a couple of major product updates that can make life much easier for bitcoin miners especially larger operations again again they just want to make life easier They want to help you stack more sats brains os plus firmware is firmware that allows you to stack more sats with your miners okay and now if you're running a big operation they have a brand new product it's the brains os plus manager if you're running Brains OS Plus on your miner, miners, there's an online platform that allows you to remotely monitor, manage all of your ASICs running Brains OS Plus. This can help miners improve uptime and keep their farms running optimally without the hassle of needing to be on site 24/7. If you're running a sizable mining operation, you know you know how chaotic it can be when you have to be on site too much. You want to you want to reduce the the amount of times you have to actually touch your miners. Brain's OS Plus Manager is helping you do that. The manager is and will always be free for Brain's OS Plus miners, and they can connect an unlimited number of devices. You can check it from your phone, your laptop, your tablet, whatever. Never tickles your fancy. Security and efficiency were top priorities. Brains OS Plus Manager uses Stratum v2 for smaller, and less frequent data transfers, with all ASIC configuration and telemetry data being sent via encrypted connections, which protect against eavesdropping and man-in-the-middle attacks, again making your operation more secure. For details on the manager and how to set it up with your mining operation, go to Brains. That's b r a i i n s dot com slash blog, and check out the Brains OS Plus Manager launch article. Brains b r a i i n s com Slushbow is also getting its first major update in the past couple of years and we'll have some new industry first features for Bitcoin mining pools. The update hasn't been launched just yet, but I could tell you that it's going to include an ultra flexible payout system, customizable mining reward splitting, and best of all dark theme for 24-7 hash rate monitoring. It's easy on the eyes. Follow slush underscore pool on Twitter to see the announcement when the pool update goes live. And I got the I got the yell, get my my comment at, at Edward Sinqueso Evenson in right now. I'm whipping you, Edward, through the mic. When what's minor? Get your whip ready. Enjoy this Rip freaks. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, All all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably 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 should be. Welcome back to Gamcast. It's Marty Bent here, sitting down with Robert Bryce, prolific author, and documentarian. Robert, how are you doing today?
1: Fine. Thanks, Marty. Happy to be with you.
0: Happy to have you here. Again, as we were just discussing before we hit record, uh, your voice in the energy industry is one that is desperately needed and one that we want to highlight and uh, project here at Great American Mining. You have the Power Hungry podcast where you do an incredible job of of just bringing on quality guests who who talk logic in the energy markets is, is the way I like to view it. And wanted to bring you on again because you've, you've done some incredible things on the content side, uh, your newest book, A Question of Power, uh, Electricity and the Wealth of Nations. And that, and that follows up on Juice, How Electricity Explains the World, which is your documentary where you went around the world and trying to highlight how important electricity is um, for humanity, particularly for poor nations that that need cheap electricity to, to join the the first world and and enjoy a higher quality of life Uh, so i guess to start and to learn a little bit more about you particularly what what drove you to want to tell these stories and, and highlight what's going on in terms of energy generation electricity and how it affects humanity
1: sure well first thanks marty for having me on i you know i care deeply about these issues and um in in juice and in and in, in, in my book a question of power i talk about bitcoin mining and ethereum mining and and that these are to me it's a very interesting business and i'm i'm not you know I, my son is all about ethereum and he's my he's been in mining ether for a long time and we've had many talks about it but it, to to answer your question I've written a lot about energy and power systems for a long time and for decades, but I realized over the last five years or so, well, really, the game is the electric grid. And that is when and trying to think about it over over those years. Why are some countries rich and why are some poor? And further, well, one of those is because they have reliable electricity, the wealthy ones do and the poor ones don't. Well, why not? What are the what are the characteristics? And so um societal integrity is the key one and that's the part that to me is the most difficult you know we talk about nigeria some of these other countries where they don't have electricity good electricity service today and they didn't have it 40 or 50 years ago well why not it's because the system fails it doesn't work very well. The, the people don't believe in the system. It doesn't work for them. And there's corruption. And so it, it, that's the nut of a lot of the, what, the work that we did in the film and, and both in, in what I'm right about in the book is that electric grids have to have integrity. They have to be, they have to support themselves. And you know, this is a Bitcoin miner. You have to make, make sure you have reliable, abundant and, and electric, uh, electricity that's as cheap as possible And if you don't have it, you're going to go somewhere else. And so electricity is the key to modernity. And that was the motivator for a lot of my work on the book and the film. And it's one that I'm really tuned in now into now, because in uh, frankly, in the Biden administration, despite the blackout in Texas in February, I was blacked out despite the blackouts that hit California last year. They haven't changed their rhetoric. It's still the same kind of frankly, misleading and under informed rhetoric about Oh, we need more renewables. And meanwhile, we're shutting down nuclear plants. So giving you a long answer. But uh, yeah, these these issues are the most important issues that we are dealing with in terms of energy and power today.
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's a good transition towards the end um, of your explanation. There is is the Indian Point power plant closure. I I touched on it with Meredith Angwin earlier this week but it's it's pretty incredible that that new york state has decided to shut down this extremely reliable uh source of energy and electricity uh under and so you wrote about in your newsletter and in a forbes article as well uh was that last week or
1: that's that's right it was last week uh, the the plant closed down april 30th on a friday and my my piece came out late on on february 20 or uh, april 29th and you know, the, the point of, to me, and I've, I'm doing a whole series of podcasts this week on the closure of Indian Point, because it, it is so I mean, I get so cynical about this talk about climate action. And yet, here's the what is arguably the single most important power plant for the city of New York. It's important for grid stability, it's important for frequency control, it's important for fuel diversity, even if you don't care about zero carbon, it still matters and yet here we have all these politicians including governor Cuomo and De Blasio and Joe Biden John Kerry all these other ones say oh we're facing a climate crisis well then excuse me goddamn why are you letting this plant power plant close down if it's a crisis and you keep saying it's a crisis this plant should never have been closed and yet it was and so i just it, it, it's it's truly staggering to me the 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 political and and governmental malpractice here and and this should be a watershed moment in in terms of climate reality in America. I hope it is.
0: I hope it is too. It's particularly perplexing because it's going to be replaced by natural gas uh, exactly generation, wind. and so they're going to have to get that nat gas delivered in from out of state after they uh, basically barred any producers from from drilling wells in the Marcellus shale in New York State as well. So they've created a problem where they're literally just going to increase electricity prices for the people of New York. And I think you said on average uh, over time, this will increase prices by one to one and a half cents a kilowatt hour.
1: For people in New York City. Yeah, those are some of the projections. And that may well be low because what... And, and Meredith, and I'm glad you had her on your podcast. I think she hung the moon. I just think she's wonderful, you know, and to, to write her, and I've probably sold more copies of her book than I've sold in my own. And good for her. I mean, you know she's spent her career in the electric business and and she approaches this in a very um, a, a, a very constructive way, I think. Um, but she's her point about the fatal trifecta of the uh, too much rely the, the grid relying too much on renewables too much reliance on imports and too much reliance on natural gas. That's exactly what is going to happen is hap has happened now in New York, there too much reliance on just in time natural gas at the at a time when the state has choked is prevented drilling for shale gas, and they're choking off their pipelines. And so they're saying, Oh, we'll do it with renewables. Well, not only can you not build enough renewable capacity in New York, you're going to you're going to have to import your electricity from somewhere else. So it it it's the the fragilization of the electric grid for no good reason. And it just is uh, it's outrageous, frankly. I mean, it really is outrageous.
0: Well, it makes you question like how far are we going to go to virtue signal? Right, This is all <laughs> a virtue a great- signal at the end of the day, correct? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and that's the part that to me that in, in I interviewed an, an episode for the podcast with uh, 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 Mayor Teresa Knickerbocker. And I said, I asked her a simple question. I said, Why did Indian Point close? And she said, um, it was uh, that the fear mongers uh, kept telling us that the plant was going to blow up and kill us all. And so it was this rank fear mongering. By, some of the mo- by one of the most powerful environmental groups in the United States, the Natural Resources Defense Council, has an annual budget in excess of $100 million, claiming, they claim they're all about climate change and climate crisis and the rest of it, and then they go and their principal goal, and then they tweeted about it on the day the plant, the Indian Point closed, oh gosh, gosh, we did a great job, thanks to all of our allies in closing this plant, and we're gonna move forward for clean energy. And it's just, I mean, it really is just a disgusting move. And I'm just, it's why i mean it's just reinvigorated me in terms of my work because i just realized we're being had and 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 for no good reason except this kind of political muscle flexing
0: yeah and it's we're being had and it's gonna have pretty severe consequences for americans and then humanity at large if the paris accord um becomes something that the, the, the world superpowers earnestly work towards. I and mean, how many countless examples do we have to see around the world for for people to wake up, right? Germany's transitioned to renewables over the course of the last two decades, rising their residential uh, electricity costs up to somewhere. I think the latest number I saw was like 35 cents a kilowatt hour, which is That's right. pretty insane. Uh, I mean, what you just experienced in Austin, the, the push... Uh, to over you know, produce renewable solar and wind particularly leading to uh, unreliable grid when when peak demand hit earlier this winter similarly in California the decommissioning of the natural gas and nuclear power plants that that never had their generation replenished leading to rolling blackouts and brownouts in that state and this it, is having real consequences i mean there were deaths in texas because the, the grid went down i'm sure there were deaths in California and other parts of of the world as well because of this like and it's 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 very funny too because all the larping and all the virtue signaling is to save lives and um it seems that their policies are either making people worse off economically which could have sort of second order effects in in terms of cause of death and or direct effects where people actually die because they don't have electricity to stay warm
1: yeah. And and I think as I've thought about this, I've, uh, you know, why did Texas end up in the situation that it did? Right. The that the, this isn't California. And to me, um, having been blacked out for 45 hours here, I live in central Austin. We were blacked out for 45 hours, sub zero to te- sub freezing temperatures. Um, but thank God we had natural gas in our home, you know, because then we could cook and we had uh, we could you know heat water on the stove and put a little steam in the air and we had a fireplace so we had firewood so we could burn things and yet the radical environmentalists the radical climate change activists are saying oh we need to ban combustion we need to quit burning things I mean they've said these things out loud and that, that Bill McKibben wrote a piece in the New Yorker to this very effect this is one of the most powerful highest profile environmentalists in America saying we need to quit burning things okay Look, I, I, climate change is a concern. There's no doubt about it. It's not the only concern, and that absolutism, I think, is the key problem. That this is the only concern. Therefore, no amount of money that we can spend is too no 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 no, no invoice is too large. We can we'll spend anything we we have to because of climate change. We'll no. We have to consider human welfare and we have to consider saving human lives and if the grid had failed in texas and it came oh so close marty i mean within a few minutes we've heard the, the 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 ceo of ERCOT say that that tens of thousands of people could have died hundreds of thousands of people could have frozen to death and yet we you know we continue with this ignorance and fragilization of the grid in in large part because i think policymakers, elected officials and non-elected don't understand how fragile the grid is and how uh, we need to keep investing in resilience and reliability.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm starting diving deeper into this, particularly my my whole life. has been immersed in Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network since I was 22, 21, 22. Um, and so I've been very dedicated to learning about Bitcoin, its inner workings, how it how it works uh, as I've gotten more into mining with Great American Mining, and by extension of that, the ener- energy industry, uh, just having to learn like how we're finding our cheap energy and diving into the climate emergency thing. Like, is it really is it, like at what point do we begin strong men and women begin to stand up and scream at these climate emergency people these hysterics and say you've been consistently wrong for decades you were predicting that there was going to be like a billion climate related deaths in the 80s and climate related deaths have fallen since then like you're you're predicting that the maldives are going to be under the ocean uh, for the last 5 decades they're 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 fine uh, you're predicting miami manhattan going to be underwater in the next 10 years if that doesn't happen like at what point are we able to say, like, listen, you people are simply crazy. You're saying things that aren't coming true. And we shouldn't be kowtowing to to your demands to to make our our grid system and our energy delivery systems more fragile.
1: What I try to do, Marty, is, I, I, you know, to me, arguing about the climate science and the number of parts per million that we should have in the atmosphere to me is a is a is a is a losing game in that I it, to me, those issues are they're important. But to me, the bigger issue and the one that I think answering the question is if we're going to agree that climate issues are climate changes is, is a real concern, how do we respond? What are the things that make the most sense that are the provide the best no regrets strategy? And in my view, and I've written about this for now for more than a decade, it's natural gas and nuclear. These are the fuels that are low carbon, scalable, relatively low cost. And, and that can meet the needs in various different uh, uh, sectors, we can use natural gas for transportation, we use it for fertilizer, it's supplies are super abundant geographically, the this makes a lot of sense. And the same with nuclear. Um, But you know, this is one of the challenges is that we face a lot that 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 kind of policy doesn't get the kind of response among particularly among the most aggressive climate activists so you see bill mckibben you see the natural resources defense council other was saying oh well we can't use nuclear energy well if we can't use nuclear energy we cannot make significant reductions in our co2 emissions full stop so i don't i i, I avoid getting to, you know too far into the climate debate about who's right who's wrong instead what about humans what about price and what are we going to do that is makes the most sense, both in terms of if we can't mitigate that is, if we can't cut CO2 emissions dramatically. And I don't think we will because of the the, the enormity of our hydrocarbon consumption, then what's the best path forward? And I think Bjorn Lomborg's arguments are that are are very powerful in that mitigation is is going to be far too expensive, we have to spend more and focus more on adaptation. And that is a better use of our money. And we don't have unlimited money
0: depends on who you ask. If you ask Neil Kashkari, <laughs> you can just print it out of thin air and <laughs> bring anything into this world. This
1: is modern monetary theory, right? That's <laughs> the... Uh... Uh, well, so let me ask you about that because I'm, I, you know, I'm curious, I'm, you know, I've written about Bitcoin. I've, I, I've, I've been at Ether mining uh, uh, data centers in in Iceland. I, I'm well familiar with the energy intensity of it. And I, you know, I get it. And to me, it's kind of fascinating. Really, this is a whole, you're creating a currency that's an arbitrage on the, on the price of electricity. That's how I see it. Right. But what about the, I mean, how would you use it? And I'm asked this earnestly, because I don't know if that, it, it is a it can be a valuable store of money. Well, a value, how do you then deploy it? How do you buy a cheeseburger with it? I mean, th- that's the one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm asking this in complete sincerity, because I don't understand that part of it.
0: You just send Bitcoin to somebody who's willing to accept it for a good right? like the networks peer to peer. So when you want to send money, I have Bitcoin on a wallet, I paid for things in Bitcoin. Um, yeah, you just send them some Bitcoin. And, this, uh, and then on top of that, at the protocol level right now, so the protocol layer uh, of the Bitcoin network is should be seen as a settlement layer comparable with central banks that settle between I each see. other using gold. Yeah. Um, and so at the protocol level, it's a little bit more expensive to transact because demand is high and uh, the amount of transactions you can fit in a block is limited due to right. scarce right. block space. Um, and so settlement transactions compete and the, the way they compete is they add fees to their transactions and so that can get a bit expensive for the little guy. And so... Uh, Bitcoiners are building layers on top of the protocol layer to make it easy to transact simul- like instantaneously, excuse me, uh, and for sh- extremely low fees compared to uh, the base layer chain. So an example of that is the Lightning Network. Um, mm. And so you can send... So actually this podcast, um, if I were to post it on Tales from the Crypt and eventually on Great American Mining... Uh, this will be possible as well. I'm working on getting it on podcasting 2.0. But when people listen to my p- other podcasts about Bitcoin Tales and the Crypt on particular apps, they can stream me Bitcoin payments every minute listen. So I actually got my phone right here and you, you should actually be able to see this. Yeah. So you can see you receive payment, you receive payment, 49 yeah. sats. So there's 100 million Satoshis in one Bitcoin. Right. Um, so it's divisible down to 100 million units, and even further divisible in that lightning network. And so, yeah, you, you can you can send Bitcoin uh, pretty easily if you want to. It's just whether or not people are willing to accept it as payment, I see. which okay. is uh, probably the bigger problem is convincing merchants to accept it for a burger. Um, right. Yeah. That's well.
1: That's I, well, that's good. I'm glad to get that because I I genuinely didn't understand it, and and that was one of the knocks on you know, from uh, Nuriel Rubini, who's a longtime critic, of course, and you know, others, but that you can't, you're, you're not able to m- build enough transactions on top of that to make it a substitute for credit cards or checks or something, you know, or cash.
0: No, you can. Uh, Bitcoiners are working on it. Uh, and again, there will be different second layer solutions or be centralized, there already are centralized second layer solutions, um, like exchanges being one of them, um, where you can exchanges can just keep ledgers on their back end, and you can move Bitcoin. And um, through them, and they're not making any transactions on the Bitcoin chain. They're just appending their ledger. Um, there's many ways in which it will scale. It's still very early days. And that's the other thing. Most people don't want to spend their Bitcoin right now because if the economic, the yeah, the economic, yeah. Yeah, the economic uh, thesis and the monetary thesis plays out, uh, Bitcoin is still extremely cheap right now relative to its total addressable market.
1: Uh huh. Right. So, what would that upper upper bound be then, in terms of valuation, or is there an upper bound?
0: It depends who you ask. Um, <laughs> so, I'm pretty bullish. I think, right, fiat monetary system, you can print money. ex hello, and so people look to store cash, assets in in uh, look to store cash and other assets to get yield and use them as a store of value. Real estate being one of them. Sure. Gold being another some people can argue the stock market as well um, people are literally pushing money into uh, these assets because they want to keep up with inflation over time or potentially outperform inflation um, and store their value they need to do it in hard assets they can't hold it in cash because their cash is being inflated away um, as right. the fed and treasury print a bunch of money sure um, and so you have consumption goods so we'll focus on real estate right now. Real estate should arguably be consumption good. It you should, you should just be, it deteriorates. It's very static. You can't move it with you. It um, should, I think, the, the overall value of real estate, I would argue, should be limited to its consumption and aesthetic status uh, in the eyes of the individual. But as you know, real estate prices are going crazy right now. New York City being one of the places people are near you, know, you have Saudi, Russian, Chinese. Nationals literally just in rich America just storing value and high rises in New York City without uh, without ever going to them. And so that's one addressable market right there is Bitcoin sucks. The store value use case out of real estate instead of storing value in, in a real estate asset in Manhattan. Why not just buy Bitcoin? Something that you can hold in your mind and hold on a piece of paper right. at your house instead of having to deal with the the jurisdictional Um, risks that come with with real estate and um, eminent domain risk and deterioration risk uh, right? all that stuff gold, similar thing I think Bitcoin makes gold bugs very angry but I think it's going to replace gold just because it's better at the purpose that gold serves, it's scarcer it's more divisible, it's easier to transfer um, and it it it's not physical, right? So like the right. physical nature of gold is arguably what bastardized the gold standard, the fact that central governments and central banks could physically centralize the um, the uh, su- supply of gold, issue notes on top of that and then eventually just say actually we're not we're just going to completely disconnect from a gold standard. Right. Gold's physical nature arguably led to the bastardization of of gold standard, and I don't think we're going to be able to return to one simply because of what I just laid out. That all the gold is still held in central bank vaults and other vaults around the world. Um, it's easy to it's easy to replicate gold or to, to create like tungsten bunk gold and fool people with that. With Bitcoin, it's extremely hard. If you're running a full node, you can verify that the Bitcoin you're receiving is actually Bitcoin. Um, the cost to verify gold is two hundred thousand dollars, where the cost to verify Bitcoin is tens of dollars. Um, and so when you when you take all those addressable markets, real estate, gold, you can even throw stock in the season there, would be reduced to their cash flows instead of speculative mania that we're seeing today. Some people say like 200 to $300 trillion market cap, um, which would be $200, 300 x what it is now. Huh. I think one Bitcoin in today's purchasing power is going to be worth millions of dollars by the end of the decade, at least, potentially tens of millions. Within a couple decades, the three decades.
1: Wow. Well, I guess I need to go out and buy me some then. Right <laughs> <laughs> I I have mined it in the past with uh, oh, one of the uh, one of the mining firms, and uh, so anyway, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating to me, but I think you know, for you know, the purposes of what we've talked about here is the <clears throat> that um idea of the arbitrage on top of electricity markets and where that goes and so that was one of the reasons we went to Iceland uh in, in to f- for the filming of of juice um how electricity explains the world so it was why are these companies locating there well the their electricity costs are, for industrial users are about 2 cents kilowatt hour well that's pretty cheap and there's no and they can and not only is the electricity cheap, they can use natural air cooling. So for the for the data center. So it was a it was an impressive and very sophisticated operation. And, um, and, and now I you know, I'm no people here in Texas, they're doing Bitcoin mining out in West Texas, where it's hot, there's no natural cooling. Um, but they're running on, on 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 excess wind energy. And so they're getting very low cost electricity. So this, you know, this the reality is whatever the industry and and I see this you know I've seen it myself right that when industry needs a lot of energy they're going to go they're going to locate where they can get low cost energy whether it's people you know they're making uh urethane or 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 any kind of you know uh, you know chemicals plastics whatever they're going to go where the energy is the cheapest and that and mo- and capital is mobile and that's what you know the shale revolution ignited in the US was a massive increase in foreign direct investment in the United States that has been very positive for both employment and for consumers in the United States.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Bitcoin takes that that search for cheap energy and turns it up a notch, right? Because what we say great American mining, we use gas, natural gas that is not connected to a pipeline or a grid, typically flared. We show up, we say, hey, we're going to bring the market to the molecule. And so the beauty of Bitcoin mining is, uh, particularly you show up, and we go on a well pad, you say, hey, turn off that flare, pipe that gas to our generators, we're going to mine Bitcoin with it. And you literally liquidate those gas assets into a monetary asset on site, you don't need to build a, a robust piping infrastructure delivery system, have trucks come on and off to, to take your, your assets and get them to market to then sell. You literally monetize your your molecules on site via Bitcoin mining. You get multiple payouts a day that you can you can liquidate to US dollars if you want to, or decide to hold it in Bitcoin. But yeah, you you take those scarce molecules on site, run them to this generator, create electricity. Electricity powers our computers that produce hashes. And those hashes allow miners to add blocks to the network, which then produces Bitcoin as a reward right you and i've seen oil. that
1: and, and I'm, I'm aware of that i mean some of these you know these mining operations very actually they're micro mining right i mean these are just some of them are trailer mounted from what i've seen are they just using regular reciprocating engines on those like cat cat uh, natural gas fired generators and uh, i'm assuming that's what they are like big v16 or you know one 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 megawatt gen sets something like that is that was that your understanding
0: yeah Recips, you can go you can daisy chain a couple 350 kilowatt generators together some 22 liter D- do sons um, and we just use generation equipment that's pretty common in the field oh yeah yeah, yeah.
1: no and, and those and that's one of the things that i've thought about too in terms of resilience in, in the in the texas grid and the texas legislature of course now is looking at a whole lot of measures that would <clears throat> add resilience to the grid and one idea that i had you know which would not past the climate activists uh, uh, stand, uh, their standards, I'm assuming is, well, why don't we deploy a lot of these big, you know, mobile gen sets, and, you know, diesel fuel is a very good fuel, been used for a long time. And that's what they use in data centers for their backup systems. So why not that? And why? Why couldn't we use just deploy, you know, at the gigawatt scale, you know, cat diesels, or, or, Cummins or Doosan or you know, you name it, there's that there's a very uh, liquid and, and large market in those generator sets that could provide that backup reliability that the that is clearly needed. But you know, whether that would be the uh, the solution adopted, I'm rather doubtful.
0: Crazy heads will prevail. <laughs> not even as a backup diesel, not even as a backup, people need to freeze. <laughs> Can't be using diesel.
1: You know, one of the things, Marty, that really to me, and and I think it was Texas Monthly that did a good a good piece, which I I just glanced at, but and I have wrote about it in a piece I published in Forbes after the after the blackouts was, we had roughly 200 people die in Texas. Over a hundred died of hypothermia, but the final tally of people who died of carbon monoxide poisoning, I think, was in the dozens, Holy crap. and to me that and and I wrote about it in Forbes, and I thought about it quite a lot. I mean, this is the ultimate example of of people dying of energy poverty, that they're running diesel, they're running, you know, uh, a small gasoline uh, generators in their garage, and they don't understand it has to be vented, or they're running a barbecue or something else inside. And these are horrific deaths, people are essentially being suffocated that one of the the prime examples was after i think was hurricane harvey there were five or six people who died in port arthur texas they were taking refuge in a a pool hall and they had a gen set and they fell asleep with the generator inside the building and they were you know they were found the next day all of them dead Uh, not all of them dead some of them carbon monoxide poisoning had to be hospitalized but I mean, this is the ultimate example of energy poverty during a time it was of course of a natural natural disaster, but it's similar, but more people died, and more people die because of cold than die of heat. And and so this, you know, the, the, these deaths are imminently preventable, but we have to focus on that resiliency and and reliability of energy availability. And that's the key part that I think in, in particular I've been focused on lately, especially after the winter storm Uri in February, this idea that we should... Um, make everything electric, right? We can ban natural gas. Uh, There's a bill, in fact, that's going to the governor, HB 13. uh, In fact, I think today that is going to prohibit natural gas bans in the state of Texas, where you've had 40 communities in California already who've who've, who've implemented bans, the city of Seattle, uh, a bunch of cities in Massachusetts seeking the same thing. It just makes the system less resilient, less reliable, and it ends up being a regressive tax on the poor and the middle class because they are going to pay four times as more for electricity as they would for a per BTU as they would for, for natural gas in their home. So these are, uh, some of these policies are just,
0: they're not only wrong headed, they're in fact deeply dangerous. I agree. I'm sorry. I'm looking away because I'm looking up for a chart that got pulled up earlier today and it's and an article that you wrote, right? Like the, the generation for these renewable sources, wind and solar particularly, is extremely expensive. Like the, you wrote an article uh, last week after the Texas blackouts followed the wind and solar, all $66 billion of it. Like the, the amount of infrastructure investment that's going into building <laughs> these wind and solar projects is not producing the same amount of return in terms of energy-produced capacity yada yada yada. Mm. well
1: and that's where it gets difficult because you you know the the, the point that I made in that article was that there's 60 before the blackouts the industry's own numbers say 66 billion dollars was spent in Texas on wind and solar. The overwhelming majority of that being in wind, about uh, 55 billion something like that, 56 billion. Well, why was so much capacity built in Texas in, in in those in for those two forms of generation, it was because the federal tax incentives for solar and wind are so large, why would you build anything else? So you had a in between 2006 and 2020, the amount of uh, uh, electricity generated with wind went up something like 20%. The amount generated with coal went down by about the same amount. So And then after the blackouts, all the renewable promoters are saying, Oh, well, don't blame us that you know, ERCOT wasn't expecting wind and solar to produce very much. Well, okay. Well, congratulations, then you you, we spent $66 billion. And yet at 2am on on February fifteenth, when I was blacked out, and every you know, millions others, the Texans were blacked out at that very moment, all that wind and solar spending was essentially worth nothing. Well, so then why the hell are we spending so much money on it i mean it's just like the resilience and the reliability of the grid have been taken for granted and i think it's because the policymakers just don't understand the nature or the importance of the electric grid
0: they don't they don't understand much of anything honestly (laughs) it is getting frustrating like i wrote about a bill on the new york senate floor yesterday that wants to put a three-year moratorium on bitcoin mining uh, within the state because of, of its climate um, impact. When like I'm pretty positive, something like ninety percent of the energy, Pickwin miners within New York State uses hydroelectric <laughs> upstate. Is or, is that right? Yeah. So they're
1: locating upstate where the where where they're getting uh, cheap power from from uh, uh, New York Power Authority, right?
0: Yeah, like in the Fingerlings. Um, up yeah,
1: there. right, finger it, finger lakes. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's but it's. Like subs- subsidies just ruin everything. Like you subsidize university student loans, prices of university goes up and you, you, you a whole generation. You subsidize these solar and wind projects and you, you create fragile grids and just how bad is the subsidy program uh, for energy in this country right now from your perspective?
1: Well, the issue is that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's contributing to the fragilization of the grid so that grid uh, you know people that are are adding generation to the to the grid their their foremost concern is not how is this helping uh, reliability and resilience it's how much am i going to be able to make in in tax incentives and so that's what's driving a lot of the investment and it and and, and further then and this is the key part marty is that <clears throat> because the the tax incentives are so lucrative what you end up creating in 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 these markets where you have high penetration of renewables is negative pricing. So if the wind guy, you know, the wind developer is getting 20 or $25 per megawatt hour for the energy that he's producing, well, then he can actually bid prices that are negative into the grid and still make money. And so what does that do? Well, it has the knock on effect then of the thermal generator, whoever that is with a gas fired plant or a coal fired plant or something that reduces their profitability because they can't bid negative. They're still buying fuel and they're not getting the same incentives. So that was one of the key problems in Texas was that the state did not have enough, uh, uh, standby generation effectively enough capacity because there no, no gas fired generator, coal, the coal is being shut down they couldn't finance their plants, they couldn't go to a bank and say, lend me money, because the bank would look at their deal and say, Well, you're not going to run an, uh, m- enough hours in the year at a certain price level that can justify your loan. So we're not going to lend on it. And so this has really created a, a, a major problem in the state in terms of how now that you've h- had all these subsidies in place, are we we're gonna have to counter those with some other subsidies in some other fashion in order to make the grid more reliable. And it's the, you know, that that's a very bad outcome.
0: Yeah. Bitcoiners are all about this. When you distort, when you distort the pricing mechanism and the allocation of capital, which easy money allows you to do, you're going to have all these weird externalities, negative externalities point pop up. This being one of them. Like think that's, right. that's why I'd be interested to get your take. Like as Bitcoiners, I mean, they're like a common, phrase that we say is fix the money fix the world like we need to fix the money so you can't make these stupid decisions to allocate capital in this fed like it literally like you just mentioned like (laughs) these projects would not have been able to go get a loan if they were able to just put their numbers out there um, without the subsidy Like
1: right they're not the yeah and 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 that's the part that you know gripes me i mean as uh, my brother used to say grills my cheese chaps my hide we hear over and over, oh, well, solar and wind are, are, are they're cheaper in the market? Well, then, if they're cheaper, and they're, this is the way we should be going, why are you still collecting subsidies? And why then in last December, then were the production tax credit and the investment tax credit, the the tax incentives for the wind and solar industries, respectively, they were extended in this massive spending bill, the long, the largest piece of legislation of over nearly 6000 pages ever passed by Congress, they were added as writers onto this big, m- omnibus spending bill, with no debate. So we've gotten, uh, these were temporary subsidies, well, who what was you know, the, the only thing that lasts longer and nothing lasts longer in Washington than a temporary program, I, I don't know, Ronald Reagan's line about that. But this proves it. Like these oh these industries, well, we don't need send these subsidies anymore. You know, Charles Grassley, the father of the production tax well, this is never designed to be a permanent credit. It's what's happened. And so what you have then, and and to your point about, you know, where Bitcoin fits into this, is that you have the big Wall Street and banks the investment banks, you have the biggest of the big businesses, Amazon, Google, etc, saying, Oh, no, 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 don't don't require us to provide any power when power is dear in the Texas market. That's what they're effectively arguing now at the legislature. Because we don't want to do that we want to free ride on the coal and gas and nuclear plants that 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 the ones that actually provided power when the grid was going to collapse, we don't want to have to provide power when the grid's ready to collapse, because that messes up our economics. So it's a it's a case of how these subsidies have have distorted and undermined the most critical network in society. Yeah,
0: and then it's it's starting to become compounded as well with the ESG movement and the carbon credits accounting bullshit game that gets played. You're just again creating these terrible incentives within an economic system, particularly in the energy industry, that is distorting reality to a point that it's backfiring on humanity. It's making humanity worse off. Like, and, the, and and
1: if I can follow that, that's the part where I don't quite understand where the ESG thing ends because when you know as i look at that it's really only about carbon dioxide i mean that seems to me the fundamental issue around esg and you've seen blackrock and others saying well and and now european development bank saying we're not going to fund any hydrocarbon projects well okay but hydrocarbons provide 85 87 percent of all global primary energy so we're going to do without it i mean the the potential knock-on impacts of this these decisions and the lack of financing could be really catastrophic, particularly for low-income countries and low-income people.
0: And then they're caught in a catch twenty-two. It's like because then you can't you can't subsidize these these solar and wind projects because they take a shit ton of hydrocarbons to produce themselves. <laughs> like, could you like you all right? You, you want to go on down this ESG route? You can't invest in wind and solar. You know how many hydrocarbons, and you know how much iron, you know how much coal it takes to produce all all of these solar panels and all these wind turbines. Like it's it's uh so i'm getting angry now because again we need to get to objective truth this is all bullshit larping and virtue signaling and and
1: larping i don't know that word what does that mean live
0: it stands for live action role playing and (laughs) like people trying to play hero in a game Uh they've created in their mind and so okay the esg movement is a huge larp they're trying to save the world from a problem that probably doesn't exist Um, i'll be as bold as to say that um and they're making people worse off as in, it's all stemming from, from a need for a certain class of people throughout the world to attempt to separate themselves from the working class via moral superiority because they can't do it financially anymore because uh, wages have been suppressed so much and you've had a, an elite overproduction where you have hundreds, millions of people who have college degrees and they expect that to separate them financially from the working class and that just isn't coming true because you've diluted the 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 job market um with people with degrees and they're not as competitive as they used to be Um, and now these people need to separate themselves morally they need to be morally superior and, and the climate alarmism is one of the the biggest issues that a lot of people are are tying themselves on but you have like the exons of the world all these producers begin to like LARP, be like, oh, we're going to go ESG. It's like, this is not in your best interest nor in the best interest of humanity, but the subsidies and the economic incentive and the access to capital, most importantly for these companies, has gotten to a point where they can't do it and they can't get that capital if they don't virtue signal, if they don't LARP. And it's just, we live in a clown world. It's like objective truth does not shine anymore. It's, it's all masquerading and putting makeup on a bunch of shit to make people in, feel better
1: you know i mean you're speaking to some of the language that i've i've thought about I haven't put it quite in the way you you just did but i agree and and it's a, a lot of that <clears throat> meaningless rhetoric is i i don't know if there's any area of modern discussion modern society where that's more obvious than in the climate change discussions and so you have and i wrote about this last week you have president biden addressing his first really his first major speech as president the joint session of congress he talks about climate the climate crisis he talks about nuclear weapons he talks about proliferation he talks about nuclear programs in north korea but and and repeatedly saying we have to do something about climate change does not use the phrase nuclear energy one time not once well why is that why would the president who's a democrat and and to be clear last year for the first time in 48 years since 1972 the the democratic party included language in its uh, uh party platform that said something positive about nuclear energy but then biden becomes president it's like it doesn't exist oh well we're going to talk about future reactors and advanced reactors and we're going to fund some of this and it's going to be the future and la 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 what about the existing reactors these are the cheapest if we're f- 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 serious if we're serious This is a this is a this is a a two inch tap in putt in golf. It's a it's a layup in basketball. Instead, they're allowing Indian Point to close. And then we're looking at the closure of the the Byron and Dresden plants in Illinois this year. And in four years, the closure of the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant in California, even if you don't believe in climate change, the closure of these plants is bad policy from a land use standpoint, which is the other part of my work that I am very passionate about because of how rural America is getting screwed by big business and that because the the tax incentives are so lucrative, that companies like Invenergy, NextEra, a lot of foreign companies are essentially forcing small towns in America to accept wind projects and solar projects that they don't want. So it's, it really is an insidious system that we've created around these issues that are serving the interests, frankly, of very few elites. And, and I, and I hesitate to say that because it sounds cynical and it sounds conspiratorial, but increasingly I just see that's exactly what it is.
0: I mean, Charlie Munger, notorious Bitcoin hater it's a very good quote show me the incentives i'll show you the outcome the incentives are all screwed they're all screwed by these subsidies by these tax breaks like show me the incentives of the system put before these people and i'll show you the outcome and i know we only have 10 minutes left but we were discussing this before we hit record let's dive more into that and that land is sure. particularly on the article that you're writing for the Wall Street Journal right now what's what's the situation
1: well, so I did a report that uh, was published about two weeks ago now for the Center of the American Experiment, which is a conservative think tank based in Minneapolis. I'm I'm a visiting fellow at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity here in Austin, which I quite like free op here because my focus is on low and middle income people and how energy policy affects them. But what uh, what the report that I did for the Center of the American Experiment was documenting that there now since 2015, uh, about 300 different communities from Vermont to Hawaii who have rejected or restricted wind projects. Well, you don't read about this in the New York Times, the New York Times will not cover this issue. They will not cover the backlash in New York State against the wind business, even though it's right in there in their state. Why? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. And the narrative is, oh, there's just all this land out there in flyover country. You know those hicks out there that don't have very much teeth, never any teeth, and they married their cousin, and you know they chew tobacco and, and drive pickups and they have guns, and we're just going to put it out there because they, you know, well they don't really matter. And in fact, that's the, I, I hesitate to say it that as bluntly as that is, but that's really the narrative. And so uh, the piece that I, I the report that I did for the center of the American experiment I'm very proud of it's called not in our backyard. You can find it on American AmericanExperiment.org. you can find a link on my website RobertBryce.com. documents with links, the, the small town media outlets that have covered these, you know, the situate Massachusetts board of uh, the town board or the town board in, in Yates, New York, or Madison County, Iowa, which in December banned new wind turbines and in reply, Mid American Energy, a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway sued the county. So I mean, you know, how cynical is all this show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome? Well, yeah, the incentives in in Iowa are to, for Berkshire Hathaway, mid American to build a lot of wind turbines. The county, the county that's famous for its covered bridges said, we don't want any more of those damn wind turbines. And what happened? Berkshire Hathaway sued him. So I mean, it's, it's just like, How can you make this up so my piece that's going to be in the wall street journal is on this this report and and these issues that we're talking about it's 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 red versus blue urban versus rural and big business versus small town america
0: yeah wow it's really ironic that that came full circle to charlie munger at berkshire (laughs) i like that quote though yeah
1: show me the incentives and i'll show you the outcome okay well the incentives is for berkshire hathaway to make more in tax incentives which is what warren buffett said right the only reason you build wind turbines is for the tax credits they want more tax credits so they're suing madison county iowa well okay what is <laughs> what about the bridges of madison county you really don't care you want the bridges of madison county covered with wind turbines really i mean it's just it's 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 you know follow the money follow the money it's the oldest rule it's the oldest axiom in politics
0: No, yeah, and it does highlight the disdain that a lot of these coastal and corporate elites have for middle america just oh yeah we'll dump it in the middle of the country and you know what like <laughs> Maybe they'll end up killing themselves from the sounds of, of the turbine that drives them crazy. Like that's probably how they think. Because that's another thing too that people don't take into consideration. Again, these knockoff externalities that second order effects that aren't uh, visible in terms of kilowatt hours produced and uh, the price and of of the electricity is all right. You're dropping these and communities and like literally the physical structure and the sound it makes is having a, a psychological effect on the people around it. Um, well, and, a- and,
1: and I would say Marty, and I've, I've followed this now for more than a decade, and the scandal, and it is a scandal is how the wind energy business has, has expanded, despite the m- massive amounts of noise pollution that their systems are creating. And I've interviewed dozens of people over the last decade who've had wind turbines built near their homes and the stress that they suffer, the physical stress that they suffer due to the low frequency noise and the audible noise from these wind turbines is real. And yet the industry has skated around it and denied it and denied it and denied it. And it's a scandal. And, you know, my response, they say, oh, it's not an issue. You know, oh, it's only it sounds of a refrigerator. It's a small, small hum. You know, these people are making it up. These people are making it up. Really? Well, then why are people in New Zealand, Australia? Why are people in in Germany, in France, in in Taiwan, in Nova Scotia, in Wisconsin? And why are people all over the world complaining in almost the exact same ways? And why would they do it if they know by complaining about it that their home that they own or have worked for all their lives is going to be devalued because they they're disclosing that their home has been poisoned with noise pollution. I mean, are they that dumb? I mean, you know, so the cynicism of this and the, and the outright refusal of the main biggest media outlets in this country to even cover it is just absolutely disgusting to me. And it's, it's given me purpose. I mean, you know, and for that I'm thankful, but it's just the, the the the, the the deception the outright lying about this I'm, i just it's something that um I I, 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 it, I it gives me purpose and it gives and it gets me worked up but these these issues need to be discussed and they need to be in in the public sphere and they are are large, largely ignored
0: well hopefully I don't know how big this podcast is I do know how big it is it's not that big but hopefully we can get this discussion permeating throughout throughout more avenues. It's not going to be discussed in the mainstream. It's got to be us, <laughs> which is uh, both scary, but also promising the fact that you're seeing all this independent journalism, you with power hungry here at great American mining, our podcast, uh, tales from the crypt, all the documentaries, and books that you put out. I, hope, I think it's making a difference. I found you. Uh, and, I'm, I'm well, like,
1: and, and that's heartening to me. And you know, I, I, uh, one of my, uh, well, I'd I'd say one of my journalistic heroes is Jessica Mitford, who was a, a famous muckraker. She was born a British, born socialite, and was one of the famous or infamous Mitford sisters. And uh, she wrote a great book, a uh, 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 an expose of the funeral industry called "The American Way of Death" in the nineteen seventies, if I remember. Anyway, her great line was, "She well, two great lines." She said, uh, obj- uh, "Objective or no, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, objectivity." I always have an objective. And then, and then she said, the one that I really like, the other one came to mind, just as I was mentioning her name, she said, uh, uh, you may not be able to change the world, but at least you can embarrass the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Hey, there, that makes sense to me, I might not be able to change the world. But at least I can embarrass the guilty. And yeah. so you know, yeah, I'm just going to try and do my part. That's all I can do. And, you know, and I'm going to do it and with as much gusto and, and hopefully
0: as much fun as I can bring to it. Thank you for doing it. And I do agree. We need to ridicule these people because they're stupid. Um, and they're doing bad things to humanity and they should be made fun of. And I think that's when it helps break down some barriers for people who may be afraid to approach these subjects, a little humor, not, not, not in a, um, not in a mean way, but in a, Hey, this is funny because it doesn't make any sense type of way. Yeah. The
1: nanny, nanny, nanny poo poo kind of, uh, the, uh, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Robert, <laughs> I would encourage you to look further into Bitcoin. Uh, cause I think we, uh, particularly fixing the money part, a lot of the incentive perverse incentives, uh, stem from the fact that we fucked up the money and we messed the money. It's so easy to print money and you can go subsidize all these projects without any consequences. You can just keep printing do trillion-dollar infrastructure plans, just give it out to people, and keep making the incentive structure as perverse as possible. Um, if we fix the money, we can fix that incentive structure and hopefully cooler heads. <laughs> Insanity will prevail at the end. Of the at least that's what Bitcoin, or I'll speak for myself, at least that's what I'm hoping Bitcoin success will, will bring back to the world. Your son, tell him to be wary tell him to uh, watch out with the ether mining Ether's gonna gonna transition to a whole new consensus mechanism. I'm sure he's aware of this, but he's not gonna be able to mine ether at some point, potentially in the next year. We'll be able to stake
1: he's 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 all about it. He's he's follows it very closely. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of him. He's very ingenious and hardworking. And so he's he's uh, he's on it. So yeah. yeah, but let's do it again, Marty, I, I look forward to it. These are you know, these issues are important. And I appreciate the passion you're bringing to him as well. Because you you know you have to speak truth to power and you you know these are issues that are, are matter to ordinary americans and what we've seen in the climate debate i think is that it's been dominated by frankly a a class of elites and that they're not looking out for the best interests of rural americans or low and middle income americans and and i may flatter myself but i i that's what i hope to do is just bring to the table these issues that point out what's happening if we follow through on some of these Uh, frankly, uh, not just misguided, but deeply dangerous policies.
0: Well, Robert, I think you're doing an incredible job. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for joining me uh, on this episode of GAMCAST. And yeah, I can't, uh, I can't wait to do it again.
1: All right. Well, let's do it again, Marty. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Have a great day.
1: Okay. Thanks. You too.